are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. If you've been at Graceway for any length of time, you know God saved me when I was a teenager. I was 16 years old, and he saved me into a really good church, a really good church. Taught me the Bible, uh, discipled me, gave me friends, gave me mentors. Really, for the season I was in, gave me a couple father figures that God knew that I really needed. It's really hard for me to envision my life without the church. It really is. I, I, I can't imagine the church has brought me so many blessings, and because of that, I'm a church guy. I am clear that the church is complicated, it's messy, uh, but I love it. I love it so much that I literally have given my life to it, and in God's kindness will give my life to this place. That's how important it has been in my journey. Um, I'm clear, though, that some of you don't share that perspective. I'm clear that some of you have had bad experiences, uh, maybe I, I've heard people say Graceway is kind of my last try for church and man, we're honored and we'll try to not mess that up, but I, it, it breaks my heart when I hear that. I'm also clear that some of you thought some things about the church and then the pandemic happened and now the church is a little bit up in the air for you. And so I want to talk to you today from the book of Ephesians and I want to talk to you about what the church is, how it's supposed to relate to itself, how it's supposed to work, what it's supposed to feel like. And I'm hoping that it'll give us a vision that we can kind of reorient ourselves toward. But the only way that's going to happen is if you join me in this. And here's what I need you to do. I need you to not think about this kind of outside of yourself, like this is an idea of the church. I need you to understand that the church isn't any one person's responsibility Like, Graceway isn't my responsibility. Graceway is our responsibility. And there are things that happen in Graceway that that you being who you are, who God created you to be, when you do them, you make Graceway better, right? You make Graceway healthier. You make Graceway more mature. And so I need you to think to yourself, maybe you've come from a church that wasn't so hot, or maybe you don't think Graceway is so hot, but I need you to say, God, what's my part in making this church everything, not that Tim wants it to be, that you want it to be based on the things that we're going to look at today. And maybe you're going to have a moment with God around kind of your church baggage, maybe your perspective on church, maybe your part in church, and I think that that would be a phenomenal thing. So I want to talk to you from the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 4. Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote. We say that it was to the, the church at Ephesus but it's to probably four, maybe even five churches in the region of Ephesus. He wrote it while he's in prison the first time in Rome, and he wrote it along with the book of Philemon, Colossians, and Philippians. And, and, and Paul has spent the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, like he likes to do. He likes to talk about this is what we believe. This is what we believe about God. This is what we believe about the gospel. And in the book of Ephesians, he's really talked about what the gospel has done to create this new humanity. So whenever God thinks about the church, he doesn't think about brick and mortar and and bylaws and church polity and, and denominations. He thinks about it as a new humanity, a new family, a new body that has never existed before. And that is shaped out of the gospel. And Paul's gone to great lengths to talk about everything that the gospel has accomplished in our lives. And then in Ephesians chapter four and verse seven, he says these two words to start. I, therefore, based on everything that I've just said, 
based on everything that the gospel is, a prisoner of the Lord, Ephesians 4 and verse 1, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk out this calling with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Here's what he's going to have them do. Now, just stop. Don't look. Don't look. Don't look at. Don't look up there. Don't look up there. Okay. Everyone, look at me. All right. Look at the bald guy. All right. If I were to say to you, what does the gospel do? Some of you are looking up there. You're literally looking past me and looking at the board. I can see you doing it. All right. Just give me 30 seconds. All right. If you, if you, if I were going to say to you, what does the gospel? What is your responsibility in the gospel? What would you say? Okay. So I think some of us say obedience. Some of us would say um, holiness. Some of us would say mission. We should be on mission because of the gospel. Not that any of those things are wrong, but those things send us on a trajectory. Okay. So here's Paul's answer. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Okay, now look at the screen. Verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says, based on everything I've said about the gospel, be unified. How many of you, don't raise your hand, that was your answer. We should be unified because of the gospel. Let's go on. For there is one body, not two, one, one spirit, just as we were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all, and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of this gift. Paul says the one thing you have to be if you understand the gospel as a church is unified. I need you to understand something. Paul didn't think of the church the way that we think of the church. Paul didn't think of the church as churches, all of the churches in Kansas City. He thought of the church in Kansas City. You say, but there's a lot of churches in Kansas City. Not to God. There's one. And the question is whether or not it's unified. Is the church in Kansas City unified? Is the church in the United States unified? Is the global church unified? Has your experience, don't raise your hand, has your experience been that you come to a unified church? Paul says a church that understands the gospel is going to be one kind of church. It's going to be a unified church. Okay, raise your hand. How many of you, that's been your experience? I go to this unified church. Okay, every head bow, every eye. Nobody's raising their hand. This should, this should concern and it should inspire because it lets you know that some of the baggage that we have was never God's plan. It was never God's plan. And so Paul is going to talk to the church and he's going to agree with Jesus. Okay, Jesus and Paul, two pretty big guys, Jesus one through a hundred, 101, Paul's our guy. These are the, the two of the big dudes. And, and Paul is really just echoing Jesus in John 17. Listen to what Jesus prays for us before he goes to the cross. This is Jesus' prayer. It's crazy. We pray to Jesus. Jesus is praying for us. This is what he says, John 17, verse 23. I and them and you and me that they might be perfectly uno. See that? You like the bilingual thing that I just did there? Perfectly one. Why, Jesus? So that the world might know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. So, so we are on to the problem here, right? Jesus says a unified church will know who Jesus is because of the unity of the church. And I said, how many of y'all been to a unified church? And nobody raised their hands. This, friends, is the reason that the world wants nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with our theology. It has nothing to do with our politics. It has to do with us. 
and the fact that they don't see anything in the church that they can't get outside of the church. Paul says, listen, Paul and Jesus both say the thing I want you to focus on more than anything is your unity because it's the way that people will know who Jesus is. It's interesting, Marcus Barth references this idea. Paul uses the word, be eager, be eager about your unity. And if you just look that up, it's going to say, make every effort, take great pains. Right? Here's what Marcus Barth says about it. It's hardly possible to render exactly the urgency contained in the underlying Greek verb. It's hard for me to articulate what be eager to have unity means. He says it means not only make haste and have passion, but a full effort of the whole man is meant, involving his will, his sentiment, his reason, his physical strength, and his total attitude. The imperative mood of the participle found in the Greek text excludes passivity. In other words, I hope we could be unified. No, no, be unified. Make it happen, right? It excludes quietism. Like, I'll just wait for somebody else to go first. It excludes a wait-and-see attitude. It is rather a diligent temperament with deliberate speed. Yours is the initiative. Do it now. Mean it. You are to do it. I mean it. That's what Marcus Barr says. Who is responsible for the unity of the church? Well, you are, Tim. No, we are. You are, and I am. It is up to us. So we've got to come off this idea that I've never been to a unified church because the people at that church, no, you didn't bring it when you went to it. You didn't make it when you went to it, and I didn't either. I'm not dogging you, but, but we, we struggle with this idea of unity. Nobody raised their hand when I said, have you been to a unified church? So I wanna, I wanna unpack this for a second. Why do we struggle with unity? Paul's going to, and I wanna give us three reasons. The first one's a little rough, okay? So just, just brace yourself, but, but here's why. This is a big one, because we lack the necessary character. Because we lack the necessary character. Paul says, be eager to pursue humility, or uh, oneness with all humility, with all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Four things that lead to unity. The first two, humility and gentleness, is our effect on others. The second two, patience and bearing with one another, is our response to them. Okay, so can we just be honest with one another? We're in church, okay? Nobody in this room wants to be patient. Right? Nobody. We all know we should be. I know that I should be, but being patient is so annoying. It takes a long time. I listen to people talk longer than they should be, take longer to do stuff than they should be doing it. Just get out of the way, right? Now, I know I shouldn't say that, but nobody wants to be humble. I want you to be humble, but I don't want to be humble. Right? Like, this is what's interesting about this. All four of those things, everybody in this room knows that they should be, but nobody in this room wants to be. And here's the deal. All of them require intent. You have to believe that unity is so important that you know, I, I need to do, I want to be humble, gentle, patient, bearing with another, so I can experience the fruit of those things. But here's the deal. Because we lack intent, we often also lack the focus necessary to develop the characteristics that allow the intent to be there. So let me give you an example. You go to the gym, and the guys go to the gym, and we always want to work on what? We want to work on our biceps, right? We want to work on our biceps. Curls for the girls. That's what we say in the gym. Sorry, ladies. It's, 
It's super inappropriate, but that's, that's what it is, okay? Curls for the girls, tries for the guys. That's the deal. Anyways, <clears throat> whoo, <laughs> turned into a meathead there for a second. I'm back, I'm back. You go into the gym and you say, I'm going to focus on exercises, putting tension on this specific thing, and the intentionality leads to the growth. Now, you all just said, I don't want to be patient, so you don't intend to grow it. I don't want to be humble, so you don't intend it. We don't, we don't do the things necessary to have patience grown in us. In fact, we avoid those things. We avoid things that make us feel humiliated. We avoid those things that put us in uncomfortable positions, but those are the very things that lead to unity. Those are the very things that are necessary for us. And here's the deal that's crazy about this. Not only do we not intend, but we misuse good things. We misuse things like doctrine when it comes to unity. So how many of you believe in this church we should have sound doctrine? Okay, please raise your hand. Just humor me. All right, raise your hand. Yeah. We should have sound doctrine. We want to believe the right thing in the right way. But what's crazy about it is lots of churches split, and what do they blame? They blame doctrine. They blame doctrine while, while ignoring the doctrine of unity. Think about that. We are cherry-picking in order to divide. Well, you don't believe that or this or those, so we can't be unified. We not only misunderstand it, but we're using doctrine while ignoring doctrine. So for those of us who say, yeah, but we've got to believe the right things. We can't hang out with people who believe the wrong things. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says be unified. The Bible doesn't say always agree, but it says be one. Make sure that you're one. You can't blame doctrine to disobey the doctrine of unity. And if we are going to experience unity, some character has to be grown in us. God's going to have to give us some desires that are going to allow us to put ourselves in a place where our, our humility can be developed, our patience can be developed, and out of that will be the fruit of unity. We just don't have the necessary character right now. Secondly, I think we have a complete, an incomplete understanding of unity. So I'm going to give you four quadrants of, of, of unity. I think it's local, I think it's regional, I think it's historic, and I think it's worldwide. Let, let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, when we think about unity, who do we think about? We think about us, right? And, and probably if I push too hard on unity, you're thinking of somebody on the other side of the room that you hope you're not going to bump into on the way out. Right? He doesn't mean that guy. No, yeah, we, we think only locally, and we should. We need to be unified. But whenever Paul is writing this letter, he is writing to at least four churches. Y'all need to be unified. He's not writing to one church and saying, y'all need to stop. He's saying, to you four churches. So it is, of course, locally, but it is also regionally in Paul's mind. In other words, how is our relationship to one another, and then how is our relationship to other churches in the area? How is our relationship to other churches? And if you say, well, I don't think we have a relationship to other churches in the area, then that's an indictment on our unity. Because we're 80. <laughs> Like, we've had time to get to know. We've had time to be friends. We've had time to get along. We've had time to make mutual investments. And so we struggle in the building with our unity, and the reality of it is maybe we struggle outside of the building with our unity. And then here's the other thing. We ain't the first people to do church. You do know that, right? Like, church 2,000 years old, we all go, yeah, yeah, of course I know that. Okay, tell me their story. Tell me anything about them. Tell me anything about any church 30 years ago. Church 2,000 years old. 
Do you, know, do you and I know anything about the people who loved Jesus long before you were a twinkle in your mama's eye? So God talks about the church in a historic way, that you're handed the baton of faithfulness to the gospel, but we don't even know who's handing us the baton, right? We have beliefs, listen, we have beliefs that we think are biblical, but they're really just American. We really do. We, we come to the Bible with our perspective, and we read ourselves into things, and, and sweetheart, we ain't in there. We, we aren't. We aren't. We're not in there. We, we have end time stuff that, listen to me, nobody... Nobody outside of these United States of America. It is an American doctrine. It's an American doctrine. Nobody believed it before Americans did, and that should concern us because we're supposed to be unified. So locally, our unity, regionally, our unity, historically, our unity, and then globally, our unity. And this isn't, this isn't we send money to missionaries. That's not unity. Right? You understand that? That's not unity. Did, you know, the church is in this interesting spot. So, 100 years ago, 80% of the global church was in the global north, that being North America and Europe. 80%. 80% of all Christians were in North America or Europe. Over the last 100 years, it has completely flipped. Now, 20% of the global church is in the global north, and 80% of the global church is in the global south, meaning Latin America, Asia, in Africa, in the Middle East. Can I tell you, if we want to be a part of what God's doing, it's in the 80. It's in the 80, and it, and it concerns me that we Americans still think <laughs> that we're at the top of the heap. We Americans still think, well, God's going to run it through America. Sweetheart, he hadn't been running it through America for about a century. God's doing incredible things all over the globe, and we're not unified, so we don't know. We're not unified, so we have American theology and American problems, and we've used American politics and brought them into our American theology. Come on, somebody. That's what we've done. That, that's what we've done. And, and, and COVID really made that even worse. COVID has, has been a catalyst for religious persecution, for relief discrimination, for forced conversion, for justification of surveillance and censorship all over the world. In this day, 13 Christians will be killed because of their faith today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. 12 churches or Christian buildings will be attacked today, tomorrow, and the next day. 12 Christians will be unjustly arrested or imprisoned. Another five will be abducted. You know, I read a book when I was a teenager called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Have you all heard of this? One of the most inspirational books I've ever read. One of the most terrifying books that I've ever read but just inspired that people would give their lives for their faith. But we think of persecution as something that used to happen. No, no, it happens more than ever today. And because we don't have any relationship with, we don't know anything about. We think it's happening to them, whoever they are. The Bible says, no, it's happening to you because they're a part of the one body. You know, I, I, I was on a phone call a few weeks ago, and... Um, was talking to one of our partners. I won't tell you where or what, what his name, but, but he had a, a people group near his country with a couple hundred thousand people, 99.9% uh, .9 not Christian. And he just had this heart for about a decade. He had been praying for about a decade for uh, this people group. And this guy calls him out of the blue and says, I just had a vision that I'm supposed to plant a church in that area and you're supposed to help me. So let me just stop you right here. 
Uh, some of you don't think God gives visions or dreams because you're an American. Listen, I'm not trying to be rude to you because you don't need them to. You just Google it. Hear what I'm saying. God's doing things that do not fit inside of my box, your box, or our collective American box. I'm, and listen, you want him to be. <laughs> you want him to be. So he says, I'm supposed to plant this church. And, and uh, the guy's like, Bro, I, I've been praying for a decade. And well, God told me you're supposed to help me. And so they plant this church and things get going and people are getting saved. And, 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 the, and the pastor gets arrested and he gets questioned and he gets tortured. They go to his house and they pick up his wife and they bring his wife in and they torture her in front of the husband and they sexually assault both of them. And they kick him out of the country. And this pastor is back in the country that our mission partner is. And he's struggling at his job because he's got so much trauma. He's forgetting how to do his job. And we're literally praying God let him keep his job through this trauma. And you know what the guy wants to do? He wants to go back to his church. Listen, that's not happening to him. That's happening to us because that's our brother. That's our family. If something like that happened to your family in Lee's Summit, it would be cataclysmic to you, wouldn't it? But this is how disunified we are, friends. We're like, oh, that's a shame. No, no. One church, one body, one spirit, our brother, our family member, that's, that's, that's happening too. It's not their experience. And here's the other thing that Paul says. Paul says you're not trying to get unified, you're trying to keep unified. He says be eager to maintain unity. Be eager to maintain unity. And, and, and so we, we struggle with the character to be unified. We have an incomplete definition of it. And we think of unity as something that we'll get to once we agree. But the Bible says not get unified. It says maintain the unity that you have. In other words, nobody raised their hand at a unified church, which means we lost something that God had given us. We lost unity. We didn't maintain it. We're not trying to get it as Christians. We're trying to keep it. Because God made us one church, one body, one spirit, one heart, one God, one body, right? One. But that's not your experience. So somewhere along the way, friends, we have lost our way. And the effect of us losing our way is that, is that we, listen, we, we've changed the scoreboard and we think we're winning. Do you know God's scoreboard? There needs to be a one on the scoreboard. And if there's a bigger number than one, we're not winning. It's ones and twos. It's not... It's not conversions and how big the church is. It's are you unified? It, it is, is the unity that you have as the body of Christ something that the world can't get anywhere but in the church? And that's not happening. We're losing. We're losing. We're losing. We, we've lacked intention toward unity. We've focused on locality and individuality. We've weaponized theology and doctrine. Now we have right and wrong, good and bad, in and out tribalism. And it got worse during COVID, didn't it? It got worse during COVID rather than communal, rather than family, rather than body, rather than attractive and invitational, rather than shaping and forming and challenging, rather than doctrine isn't any of ours, it's God's. And we're trying to figure out what God says and unite ourselves 
under it. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It's about us coming under the authority of Scripture gladly and being compelled by what our head, Jesus, says about our body. I can't be what God wants me to be without you. And you can't be what God wants you to be without me. And we, Graceway, can't be what God wants us to be without other churches in the area. And this is not only in our agreement. We're waiting too long to agree. We're waiting too long to agree. It is also, and maybe especially in our disagreement. Here's the thing that's crazy about this. I don't need you if we agree. (laughs) Right? No, I actually need you when we disagree. And I need to have the humility to say, why, why, why do you think that? I, 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 need, I need to be patient as you say, well, I'm a little bit in process. And I don't, I need, I, we need to do this individually, as families, as churches, collectively, regionally, historically, locally, and globally. That's how big the problem is, friends. That's how big the problem is. So here's my ask. Here's my ask. If it's ever going to get better, we have to invest in it. So here's what, I, here's what I want to ask you. I want you to begin to pray. I want you to begin to pray for the unity of Graceway. Okay? The unity of Graceway. The relationships that make it up. Because right now, uh, coming out of COVID, we are a little bit disengaged and we're a little bit fractured. Come on. You know that's true. There are people who still call this place home, and I'm looking at them through that lens. And there are people who used to come in and used to have lots of relationships and maybe they got hurt during COVID or maybe you failed to see the necessity of them during COVID. And so you're coming like, hey man, what's up? Didn't you guys used to be tight? Yeah, before COVID, but not now. I need you to begin to pray that God will reclaim unity, rebuild unity here. And I want you to begin to pray for the, the church in Kansas City. All of them. All of them. Well, what if they're just let God sort that out, all right? Pray for the unity in the, of the church in Kansas City. Pray for the unity of the church in the United States. And pray for the unity, the familiarity, the, the intent to get to know the, the global church. In fact, over the next couple months, our missions team is going to be reaching out to you, small group leaders, and asking you to adopt one of our mission partners, and you to get the newsletter from them and get the information, you to just invest in the unity of the global church in your small group. And and I'm just asking you, friends, if you're a small group leader, uh, don't say no to that. Don't say no to that. that. That's a function of the church that we're privileged to be able to pray for someone that you might never meet until you're on the other side of eternity, but I promise you, it's a worthy investment. We need to push unity into Graceway, into our small groups, into what God's doing all over the globe. And the beautiful thing about it is I could tell you story after story after story of persecution from our mission partners. The story that I just told you, if I said the person I was talking to's name, you've heard it 10 times from this stage. I need you to pray for him. I need you to pray for him. I need you to pray for us. I need you to pray for Kansas City. And then secondly, I need you to begin to, hear, hear the word, pursue relationships. We, we, friends, we have not recovered from the passivity of relationships post-COVID. I'll be straight with you. It wasn't great pre-COVID. 
<laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't great pre-COVID, but it's, it's been, been obliterated. I need you to one another, one another. I need you to get into a small group. I, literally, we, we put a, a day of the week. We call it midweek because it's in the middle of the week. Just show up. Make yourself available for relationship. Let's rebuild our relational capacity. And we need that, don't we? We need to rebuild the capacity so we can rebuild the trust, so we can rebuild the empathy. We're struggling with empathy as a culture right now. We're struggling with trust. We're struggling with people that we used to be friends with and saying, do I still need to put anything into that relationship? Yes, because you need it and it needs you. And because that's what church is. Church isn't this, friends. This isn't church. Say, I thought I was coming to church. Nope, this is the church gathered. This is is the church coming, congregating to worship and get under the word together. But really, really, church is what happens in the lobby. Really. You're like, fine, I'll stay in the lobby. That's not what I said. (laughs) Some of y'all trying to mess with the theology of this thing. No, we need to, you, need to, you need to be in here. But, but church is really what happens in the middle of the week when you send that text, pick up that phone, go for that coffee, and pursue that relationship. Stop waiting for someone to pursue you. Stop waiting for someone to fix it for you. Stop waiting for it to feel different. Listen, listen, listen. It's not going to feel different on its own. It's not. It's not this new normal. But the church has to go first. Come on, somebody. Church has to go first around this. So, so Paul says the form of the family is one. It's just one form. And then, and then here's the function. Uh, Ephesians 4 and verse 11. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip, equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So here's our form. Positionally, we are one so that practically we can be one. Our oneness, though, is not uniform. It is diverse. And I don't mean ethnically. I mean physiologically. Your body is diverse. You typically have ten fingers that are connected to two hands, that are connected to two wrists, that are connected to two forearms, two elbows, up to... Different sizes of biceps and triceps. Come on, somebody. Right? Diversity, even just in your arm. Diversity is how a body works. And each part of the body is for the rest of the body. The thumb doesn't say, I really don't like my palm. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, I, you know, I'm just going to take a break from my palm. Actually, you know what? I'll come... I'll be connected to my palm uh, 1.8 times a month, and the rest of the time I'll be connected online. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't even make the argument. Your body doesn't even make the argument that it can be connected digitally. No, your body says, I'm, I'm in proximity to this, which means it's for this and this is for it. And the connectivity makes health. 
right? If your thumb gets cut off, you go, ah! And you go to the doctor and you get it fixed because it's broken. If it's disassociated, we call it being amputated, and you go and you fix it. You don't go, ah, I never really needed it to begin with. You don't do that. You, you physiologically connect health to connectedness. Spiritually, it's the same. Spiritually, it's the same. And things that aren't connected can't be healthy, and things that aren't healthy can't grow. Now, some things that grow are called cancer, right? And so I'm not trying to say just because it's big, it's healthy. But I am saying if it's healthy, it should be growing. It can't be healthy if it's not connected. And if it's healthy, it should be growing. That's why my son, who pre-COVID was five foot two, is now six foot one. I don't know when that happened, right? Now I'm slightly looking up to him, only physiologically, not principally. You know what I'm saying if you're a parent. <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah, why? Because he's healthy. Because he's healthy. The same thing should be true of the body. John Calvin says, No member is endowed with such per perfection as to be able, without the assistance of other, to supply his own necessity. No member is significant enough to supply its own necessity. You can't do for you what you need done for you to be healthy and growing in the Lord you need the person sitting next to you. And they need you. And they need you. We cannot be mature as a body. We cannot be healthy as a body. And do let me clarify this. I'm not talking about your maturity. It drives me crazy when Christians talk about their maturity. Do you know the only people who talk personally about their own maturity? Do you know who? Immature people. In the church, oh, I'm just mature in my faith. No, you ain't. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to be talking about it. Nobody who is mature talks about their maturity, number one. So let's stop with that. Number two, it's not your maturity, it's our maturity. The fact that that's even a thing in the Christian community, oh, my maturity and faith, lets you know how divided we are. Because the Bible doesn't talk about your maturity, it talks about our maturity, Graceway's maturity. You see, we think that our maturity is connected to our knowledge. That's not what the Bible says. Our maturity is something that happens collectively when we are unified positionally, principally, and practically, and the unity leads to health, and the health leads to maturity. But if you take any one of those out, it turns into Jenga real quick. So here's what I'm going to ask you. I asked you to pray. I asked you to pursue relationships. Number three, I'm going to ask you to participate and what makes Graceway what it is. I need you to go to growth track. Why? Because at growth track, you're going to find out which part you are. That's what growth track is. Growth track isn't new members class. Growth track isn't, I got jobs to do and I need you to fill. That's not what we do here at Graceway. We say, who has God brought here? And therefore, what should we be doing? Not, here's what we want to do and we have a quota to hit. So you come in and you're especially gifted, have a special passion. Our pastoral team says, okay, maybe that's something that God's bringing here. You see, I believe that everything we need for health, unity, and maturity is sitting in this room. But I'm afraid that some of us, we need you, but you're actually just sitting in this room. I, I, I need you to participate. I need you to get moving. I need you to get active. I need you to go to growth track. I need you to get on the dream team. 
I, I need you to do who you are. Be who you are. I need you to be a part. I need you to engage, not observe. Listen, you are currently watching me attempt to function in my gifting. And I'm grateful. I really am. What's yours? What's your gift? I want to watch you function in yours. I, I want to benefit from you functioning in yours. Well, I don't know what mine is. Go to growth track. Go to growth track. <laughs> and let God tell you. And then we'll literally let you use that gift like the next Sunday. No, not all of them. If you're like, I want to sing. That's going to take a minute. All right. <laughs> we need to certify your giftedness because just because you love to sing doesn't mean we love to listen. Come on, somebody. That's a fact. That's a fact. <laughs> so here's how I want to end. I, I want to teach you this, this, this doctrine called Christus Victor, the victory of Christ. Right in the middle of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about the unity of the body and then the giftedness of the body. And right in the middle, he's, he does this crazy, this, this crazy thing. He says, therefore, 4 and verse 8, it says, when he, that being Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended to the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Right? You got it? Like, what? What? What are you talking about, bro? What are you talking about, Paul? Well, what Paul is doing is he's quoting... Psalm 68 and verse 18, where David is referring prophetically to what Jesus was going to do on the cross. It says, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. David says, you receive gifts. Paul says, you give gifts. Okay, so here's what's interesting about this. David is referring to a cultural norm in ancient times. And what that cultural norm is, is that when a king would go to battle, if he achieved a victory, he would create a train of all of his defeated foes, and he would walk them through the city center. And all of the city would come out and observe and participate in the victory of their king. And at the end of that train would have been all of the loot that was connected to the victory. And here's what I think Paul is saying. There's a lot of different ways that you can, but whether or not this physically happened or just metaphorically, here's what I think Paul is saying. I think that Paul is saying on the cross, Jesus descended, took the keys of sin and death, stole Satan's kings, got all the defeated principalities and powers in a train, and I think he walked them through heavenly estate. And I think all the angels came out and went, ah, <laughs> shouldn't have left. Maybe not exactly like that, but that's the version I like to tell. <laughs> I think that all of heaven came to observe the victory of Jesus. Okay? And in the gifts that Jesus was given, he purchased a new humanity called the church. And then he gave gifts to the church. You say, what are the gifts? The gifts are gifted people. That's the gifts. Some apostles, some prophets, some teachers, some evangelists. They're the gifts to the church. Why? For the equipping of the body toward the ministry that God has called them to. That's what Growth Track is. It's just to begin to equip you. That's what small groups is, just to get you into communities so you can be equipped. Why? Because God has calling on your life. Because God has calling on your life. So, so here's what I need you to understand. 
I need you to understand that, that unity is local and regional and historic and global. I need you to understand that sitting here right now, we can only be healthy if you do who you are. That we need you and that you need us. Doesn't matter if you're a pinky or a bicep or a brain. Come on, somebody. We need you to be who God called you to be. And we don't just need you sitting. We need you doing and participating. We need to be active in prayer. We need to be pursuing relationships. We need to participate in the kingdom as it is being brought to this time and place. Why? Why? Because we aren't the only ones watching. I believe that those principalities and powers who see that Jesus accomplished a victory also see whether or not the church is going to be as unified as he died for them to be. And I think that we look at it and go, yeah, no big deal. And I think the principalities and powers of darkness look and say, Jesus died for one body and look at all of those denominations. <laughs> they can't even be unified after what you did, Jesus. What'd you really do, man? I think they mock the grace of God while we fail to maintain the unity that God gave. And the gifts that God gave you, I think that the principalities that are as real as you are look at you and say, you gave them gifts and they don't even think they're worthy to use. They're just sitting there. You see, this isn't just about the physical. This isn't just about the relationships. This is about authority in spiritual places. And the opportunity that you and I have to make a statement about who's in charge here. If Jesus is in charge here, there should be one unified body. If Jesus is in charge here, he gave us gifts. He gave me gifts. He gave you gifts. And those gifts are worthy of their use. Don't bury them in your backyard. Use them. Use them. Put them to work for the blessing of the church, for the glory of the one who gave them to you, and for the expansion of the kingdom of God. I need you to engage. I need you to pray. I need you to go first in relationship. We need to pursue unity because it's the thing that Jesus prayed would be true. And here's the crazy thing. You have the opportunity to answer Jesus' prayer just like you hope Jesus is answering yours. Let's pray. God, we love you. I thank you for your word. And God, the truth is we have a lot of reasons that we're divided, especially now, culturally, politically, ethnically, demographics, economics, lots of things pulling us apart according to the course of this world. And so I just, I just pray that in your kindness and through your spirit, you would allow us to put our heel on the ground around these things. Call us to prayer for this church, for the church in KC, for the church in the West, for the church globally where you are building your kingdom just as you promised. You're building your church and the gates of hell are not prevailing against it. And we praise you for that. But God, I pray for those of us right now who are a little in and out. We're a little disengaged. We, we, there's some things that are up in the air. I, I pray, Lord, that you would, you, would, you would call each of us into unity and into activity, understanding the value of the gifts that you have given to us by your grace. And that the church needs them. We need those gifts. And the people who have those gifts need us. And that when we operate as a body, not only are we blessed, not only is the kingdom built, but a statement of supremacy is made in the depths of hell, of what Jesus bought one body, of what Jesus gifted, the spiritual gifts and those gifted people for the bringing and the building of his kingdom. 
Lord, I pray that you would snap us out of the days that we're in. Snap us out of the malaise that's been over us. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear the kingdom. What's at stake in our part in it? I love you, Lord. And I thank you for the church. I, I love the church and I love this church. And I pray that she brings you glory. I'm thankful to be a part. Bless us now as we go. Make much of Jesus in our hearts this week. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen and amen. Give me 30 seconds, all right? If you haven't gone to Growth Track, it's on the other side of that wall. Great time for you to start. If you want to take the generosity jump or you came prepared to give, you can do it at any of the doors. If you want to get connected to a small group, there are QR codes literally on the wall. I can see them right there. Just go up, take a snapshot of them, and get connected. Lastly, go Chiefs. I love you. See you next Sunday.